0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Amidst the world's chaos and growing opposition to our faith, economic hardship, and overwhelming challenges, we can find inspiration from the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Despite facing an angry king, severe drought, massive opposition, and depression, Elijah lived a powerful and impactful life for God. Join us for our series, Elijah, as we learn how the same God Elijah served can use us to live a life of impact for his kingdom.
1: what would you expect the attitude or the disposition of, of a person who had seen tremendous works of God to be? I mean, What do you think their, their interior posture and, and state of mind and, and heart would be like? How would you consider your state of mind if you were in Elijah's shoes. Uh, You've seen God answer your prayers for fire, proving he is the only living God. You've seen God answer your prayers for rain, proving that he alone is the one who sustains and supplies. And so you've seen God do those things and and you see and you think and believe that true revival and renewal could be happening in your own nation as a result of your work and ministry, how how do you think you would be processing all of that and and experiencing that in your heart and mind? I think many of us would say, well, I I think, I hope I would be pretty upbeat. I'd be pretty encouraged. I'd be really excited, like the trajectory is moving up and God is doing great things and I'm getting to be a part of that. So yes, I'm, I'm all for that. That would be great. And maybe that's where the surprise of Elijah's story hits us. In what I just read, we don't find a guy who's ready to take the next hill, who's, who's excited and charging forward on mission for Christ. We, we don't see a leader who is rallying the people and saying, let's go, we've got more to take, let's see God do greater things. We, we see a guy who's ready to wander off into the wilderness and die. He's, he's self-focused, depressed, frustrated, I would say Elijah is full of self-pity. He just turns in on himself and caves. Now, I, I show you that, and we'll, we'll unpack this more. I show you that to only be a mirror for us this morning. Elijah's life and this, this story in chapter 19 is intended for us to, to look at our own hearts and to see our own condition as we, as we consider our, our life experience. Maybe for for some of you this morning, you haven't experienced the life that you thought you would. You haven't had the the good things happen that you had hoped for and intended to see come about in your life, and and somehow, in some way or another, you feel like you've come up short. Maybe, Maybe perhaps you've Desired or anticipated some sort of upgrade in your life, maybe a promotion at your job, like you've just been working really hard and thinking I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in the su- uh, supervisor's chair here soon. Or, or for perhaps some of you you've been desiring and, and praying for and hoping to have a spouse and a life partner to spend your life with, uh, maybe for many of us as parents've we've, we've hoped our children would turn out really successful and just live incredible lives and be be people of prominence and and yet we look at those things and we realize that those maybe have not happened and, and we feel a, a sadness in our heart. we, we feel a, like we've missed something's gone wrong or, or maybe it's on the other side of the coin where you have experienced the good things you you have seen success in your life you, you have seeing God at work spiritually you feel great and yet you you think about somebody else maybe somebody across the room here this morning or or maybe someone else uh, that you know of maybe you've seen them on social media and you begin to compare and and your heart sinks you you've got no joy but instead you've got jealousy and sadness because you haven't had it as good as they have and you think you should you think you deserve that my question for you this morning is, do you have a heart full of self-pity? Do you have a heart of, full of self-pity? Uh, Abigail Dodd, who's a writer at Desiring God, she says that self-pity is when we have a self-indulgent attitude towards our own hardships. Something bad happens to us and we, we decide to lament our loss all alone since no one else apparently will. You know these people, the, it's the kid who doesn't get the toy that they want, and so they sulk around and they're sad and upset, or, or it's the teenager who has, they've got to do their homework before they can go off and play video games, and they're just moping around so, bad, so sad that they've got to do the work in their lives. The self-pity is a turning in on ourselves that skews our perspective of God and the world. So, so I wonder this morning, are you like Elijah? Is there there self-pity happening in your heart where you look at maybe the good things of your life or maybe the disappointments of your life one way or another and you're going, it didn't add up. Why didn't I get this? What's wrong? You're you're frustrated. You're disappointed. You're jealous. You're isolated. Now I ask these questions because I want to help us this morning from from God's word. God wants to help us address our hearts that are full of self-pity. He wants to help us grow and get a real and right perspective on the world. And I love that this is here in the scriptures for us because it, it helps humanize the situation. We think of Elijah as a super saint. He is, he is one of the top prophets of the Old Testament. I mean, on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was Jesus with Moses and Elijah. That's, that's in these three disciples. And so we think of Elijah as one of the top-tier leaders I mean, he, in our minds, had some sort of insight with God that maybe feels completely out of grasp for most of us. And yet, as I've been reminding us through the series, James reminds us that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. So don't have that big disconnect. See that, that we... Much like him, are human, he is like us as human beings. And the things that he experienced, both the highs and the lows, are true to our experience as well. And so Elijah's story, this man who, after seeing great success in ministry, finds himself in the pit, can speak to our lives and hearts today about our own self-pity. You see, Elijah had a great God. And that great God is the same God who we have that God who will meet us and answer our self-pitying hearts with his grace and mercy. So, again, my question is, do you have a heart like Elijah's of self-pity today? Are you turned in on yourself, complacent, bemoaning your afflictions, isolating, only looking within? I want to help you see a God who calls you to himself. In fact, that's, that's how the Lord works to deal with the self-pity in our hearts. He calls us. God's call conquers our self-pity. And I want us to hear this morning, as Elijah did, the calls of God on his life and on our life so that we can get up out of ourselves, we can look around and see the world and see one another with the true right perspective that God gives in his grace. I want us to hear three calls of God this morning for our lives so that we move forward and we see the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to conquer the self-pity that is there. Right, we are ready for these three calls? Let's go. First of all, the first call is that God calls us to himself. So when we're full of self-pity, when we're looking in, we're kind of down on ourselves, at the bottom, we've got to recognize God and we've got to hear God calling us to himself. This is, this is where it happens in Elijah's life. I mean, he, is, he has just had great success in ministry. And we can feel his emotions, right? We should. It's good for us to do that. But it surprises us that Elijah is here in all of his self-pity. He is, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been in chapter 18. The short of it is, Elijah has been used by God to confront the false worshipers of his day, the Baal worshipers, to prove and to demonstrate that Baal is no God at all. Elijah gets on top of Mount Carmel. They have a little showdown. The prophets of Baal, they can't pray down fire on their altar. Elijah, in a simple prayer, trust the Lord, and God drops fire there, proving he is the living, true God. And it's like revival is happening. Like, this is a huge ministry success. If that happened in my ministry, I would think I'd be on the top. And yet, Elijah's here all the way on the bottom, now, that's reason for uh, that him hitting the bottom is because of what happens there around him. He's been faithful to the Lord, he's been serving the Lord, the Lord was in his corner, but he has this fear and it comes from power. Verse one tells us that Ahab, Ahab is the king at this time, he goes home to his wife Jezebel and he tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done. It's like, yeah, we had the showdown, our guys prayed, nothing happened, he prayed, fire fell. You know, the Lord Yahweh is real. He is alive and living. The prophets of Baal, they were killed and slaughtered. And this is where Jezebel just reacts. She she responds and like a mafia boss puts a hit out on Elijah. Like those prophets were my guys, and she says, "May the gods do to me." She invokes this curse on herself. "May the gods do to me and more also if I don't make your life as the life of one of those prophets by this time tomorrow." Like, may, may the gods curse me if you're not dead by this time tomorrow, Elijah. And she just sends a messenger with that, with that note. A literal death threat right there. You will be dead tomorrow morning. Thank you very much. That's scary, right? Elijah, he's rightfully afraid, and so he takes off. He's like, I've got to get out of here. He runs, and he runs as far away as he can. Verse three he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. He went to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now, Elijah lives in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he runs to Beersheba, which is as far south as you can go in what was the United Kingdom or in Judah to get away from her. He runs as far as he can. He stops there in Beersheba, and he has a servant with him, and he tells the servant, like, hey, you stay here, I'm going on. He keeps running, he keeps going. Verse four, he went a day's journey farther into the wilderness, and he finds this broom tree. He gets there, he sits down, and this is where Elijah's just self-pity overtakes him. He, he, he lays down, and he's like, God, I just want to die. I'm done. I, I, it's enough, is what he says. It's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. He's looking at all that God has done through him and in him, and he's thinking he's a complete failure. Like, Revival hasn't happened in Israel. Now they're seeking to kill him. He's, he's all alone, and he's just looking at it saying, hey, what a waste. My life has been a waste. It's all a failure. I can just feel Elijah's like, woe is me, God. That's enough. Take my life. Boo-hoo. I'm no better than my father's. That's his heart. So he lays down, and he goes to sleep, completely exhausted and tapped out. You might think God would be a little annoyed by that. Hey, I've been using you, Elijah. I've been working through you, and nobody measures up to you, and you're gonna throw a little pity party in the desert for yourself? I mean, you're not Jonah. You're much better than that. Like, come on, what's wrong with you? You might think that God would go to Elijah and say, get your act together, guy. Be strong. No wimps here. No wimps for the kingdom of God. Like, man up, let's go. But the Lord... Comes in gently. He comes with grace to Elijah. He provides for Elijah. and cares for him. Elijah lays down. Verse the end of verse five, and an angel comes and says to him, "Arise and eat." And Elijah looks up and and look there. Behold, at his head, cake. It's a the theology of cake uh, for you. That's the English Standard Version translation. Some translations say a loaf of bread, but I think cake is better. There's cake and water. He's feeding Elijah, he's caring for him, he's providing for him. And so Elijah eats and he drinks, and then he crashes again. Just lays back down and goes to sleep. Maybe he's still thinking, just take me God, I'm done. I know after long, busy, big days of ministry, like there's times where I'm just like, I go home and crash, I I feel this. And so for him, the work was all the greater, and, and you can just sense his depletion, his exhaustion. It's okay, but but the Lord comes again a second time. The angel comes a second time and touches him and says, arise and eat, the journey is too great for you. God is here saying, Elijah, I have something more for you. You're not done here, you're not gonna die in this wilderness, I'm not gonna leave you out here to moan and mope, I've got something for you great. He's calling him to himself. And so Elijah went and he took the food, he ate it, drank, and he made the journey says, he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Here's God calling Elijah to his mount. Now, we read Mount Horeb here, and maybe we don't know that place, but it's also called Mount Sinai. This is the place that God met Israel and showed them his covenant and gave that special covenant to them. This is a place where God met with Moses and passed before Moses and revealed his glory and his name and showed Moses who he was, Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, God gets Elijah into the wilderness and in the wilderness he says, no, you're not done. Here's food and provisions to get you 40 days to come to the mount where I wanna meet with you. I want you to remember who I am. I want you to know me, Elijah. And this is God's call and where it conquers self-pity. God is calling him to himself. He's saying, come get close to me. Come remember me as the God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Elijah, get close. Notice here, God doesn't push Elijah away. He draws him near. That, that's where self-pity can be so destructive in our lives because when we live with hearts of self-pity, we wanna isolate. We think that we're the only ones who are dealing with the problems that we have, that nobody has it as bad as we do, or like our failures, like they're completely irrelevant to everybody else, and so we become uh, isolated and inconsolable, we, we just won't hear reason. I mean, I was hiking yesterday with a friend, Mike, and, and we were talking about the upcoming football season, and he's a Packers fan, and I pity him for that, but he was telling me just how excited he was that Aaron Rodgers wasn't on the team anymore. Like, he'd gotten rid of him. He's out. Like, this guy who was toxic and just all about himself, and if the team did poorly, he blamed the other players, and if they did well, it was all his uh, reasoning for doing well, and, and he was just saying, like, that's so good, and that kind of self-pity is what we can get into, where we think it's all about us, and we distance and back away from everybody. God doesn't want that for us. God doesn't alienate himself from us. He doesn't move away from us when we sit in self-pity, and in fact, he draws us, he calls us to himself. He says, come get close. You're, you're living with a heart of self-pity. You think it's all about you. You're wallowing in your own pit of despair. Hey, friend, get close to me. See who I am as the God who is gracious and merciful and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. See me as the God who cares for you and loved you. He brings Elijah to the mountain where he says, my love is shown. He brings us to the mountain where Christ showed his love for us. He says, don't you see on the cross? That's where I, I displayed the depths of my love and affection for you. I gave my son to lie in your place, to to lay down his life for your sin, to bring you to myself, like, come get close to God. If you're you're wallowing in self-pity, perhaps you've been distancing yourself from him. You've been backing away slowly and slowly from the Lord, and he's saying, no, I'm calling you to me. Come get close. You need to see who I am and what I've done for you. Dane Orland writes in his book Gentle and Lowly, he says, when the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems like our one shot significance has slipped through our fingers, or when we can't sort out our emotions, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, there, right there, we have a friend who knows exactly what such testing feels like and sits close to us, embraces us. Christ is for us. So he says don't alienate don't isolate don't don't hold me at arm's length. I'm calling you to get close to me. God conquers our self-pity by calling us to himself. And as he calls us to himself, he then issues a second calling. He's not done with Elijah yet. He's not done with us and wants to work deep in our hearts to defeat our self-pity. So the second thing that God does is he calls us to truth. He calls us to truth. Sure enough, Elijah goes to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. He finds a cave and he and he camps in the cave. The word here is lodges in it. Like he's gonna build a little house there. I, I think maybe in Elijah's mind, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna be a monk. I'll, I'll be the first monk of monks. I'll live this real uh, simple life in a cave here on the mountain of God. I'll be a desert hermit, hermit, and it'll be great. You know, like that's how I'll run out the rest of my life. I served God in my day. Did go so great. I mean, they had a little success, but not so great. I'm just going to hide out in the hills. God's not content with that. He's got a call and purpose on Elijah's life, and he has a call and purpose on your life as well. And so the Lord speaks. He he issues his call to Elijah, and the call that he has to him is to see truth. Notice there in verse 9, he says, the word of the Lord came to him. God's authoritative, direct, powerful, sovereign word comes right to Elijah. And it's a question. Elijah what are you doing here? It's like, why are you here now? Now Elijah's answer is is right in part. It's it's not a boasting answer. It's not an arrogant answer. He, he's he's bringing he's standing as a lawyer, as it were, and bringing up the charges against Israel. He's like, God, I want you to see what's going on here and to know how bad it is. And so he, he starts issuing these charges, and then halfway through it, he like completely turns it all on, in on himself. He says. God, I have been very jealous for you. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. The people of Israel, they have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. Like, yes, those are all true things. And so he's getting to that point, and you should think that he should go on and say, God, do what you will do. In your justice, refine us. In your mercy, rescue us. Save your people. You would think that Elijah would keep going with this, Aim of like talking to God about God's people and seeing God work. But what Elijah does is he turns it all in on himself. They've forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets, and, and I, even I only, am left. And they're trying to kill me. Like, it's just like all of a sudden it's about him. He just brings the focus in. Now, now how does God answer this? How does God deal with Elijah's self pitying heart? He speaks to him. The word of the Lord comes. God said, go out and stand before the, on the mount before the Lord. He's like, just put yourself in front of me for just a moment. So Elijah does. And it says, behold, the Lord passed by. Now this is an incredible moment. It's the same moment that happened to Moses on that very same mountain, maybe in the very same cave. Their God in his glory passed by Elijah. One of the things that, or this is what some theologians call a theophany. We see God pass by, but one of the things that gets overplayed in the teaching of this passage is the events here. Like we kind of get like, ooh, this is kind of interesting. So, so what happens is we get our focus on the Lord passing by. This great wind goes by. And the text says, but God was not in the wind. And then this great earthquake happens and shakes everything, but God was not, the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then this incredible fire happens, and the text says, but God is not in the fire. And then we read, and if you grew up with the King James Version, you read, a, you know, then there was this still, small voice. The ESV says it's a low whisper. And oftentimes the teaching is that that. God's not in the big, the spectacular, the blow it up kind of amazing stuff. He's he's in the really still, small, quiet. And so just listen to that quiet. Listen to the little Jiminy cricket in your heart and and let your heart guide and direct you and lead you. That's that's where God's speaking. That's, That's not what's happening here with this passage. That's not what God is doing here. God is getting Elijah in front of him, and he's confronting him with himself. And he's saying to Elijah, Elijah, you think you're alone? You think you're the only one left? No, you're not. You're not alone. Elijah, see the God who moves the wind, the earth, and the fire who is with you. See the God who speaks, ushers his word out. He is with you. See the God who promises on this very place his faithful and steadfast love to thousands of generations. Elijah, he is with you. God is showing Elijah himself and reminding him of all of his promises and saying, Elijah, you think you're all alone, but no, I am still here. I am still God. Just as I was with Moses, I am here and I am with you. So when the silence comes, when the Lord has passed by, behold, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes again. God's just revealing himself. He's showing up. He's confronting Elijah with truth. I am God. I am here. I haven't moved at all. I've not weakened one bit. And he asks the question again. Elijah, what are you doing here? And the answer comes the same way. Elijah He's still in his heart of self-pity. He's like, oh, I've been jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. People of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets. And I, even I, I only am the only one who's left, and they're seeking to take my life. And so God speaks with truth one more time. He gives Elijah a command. We'll see that. But he also gives Elijah a revelation. The revelation is in verse 18. Verse 18. He's like, Elijah, you're not alone. I am God, I am here, I am standing, and you're not alone among people who follow me. I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He's just, he's just laying out, this is the reality, Elijah. Here's the perspective. I'm God, I stand. There's my people. It might be a small remnant, but they're there too. You're not alone, friend, I'm with you. That's what self-pity can do, it can blind us to the truth. It just distorts our perspective and, and shapes everything out of shape. I have a friend who's an editor in the publishing industry and he and I were talking about some of the things related to that and, and a moment of his own lack of perspective and self-pity. Uh, we, we as authors get an annual um, report in on the sales of our books and, and what that looked like from a publisher and he got his annual report um, not too long ago, and was looking through it and was just he was just saddened. Like he had hoped his book would be doing a whole lot better, a whole lot more people had bought would have bought it, and just his expectations were missed. And so he told me he was like stewing around the house, moping about it, complaining to himself and his sad state of affairs, kicking the dog, being grumpy with the kids. I'm not talking about myself, okay? This is not my story, this is my friend's story, real friend. And his wife just got tired of it. she just like no, no more. And so she confronts him with the truth. She said, Drew, a thousand people bought and read your book, and they've been helped by it. That's far more than you deserve. And with that splash of fresh water on his face, she brought truth to the table. And he shared, like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that means something. People have been helped, and it's True. Here's the point. In our own self-pity, we need perspective and truth. We focus on our situations. We look at our humble circumstances. We're filled with woeful introspection because we aren't seeing the big picture. And it's not just a matter of seeing the big picture. It's a matter of seeing God. Conquering self-pity is a matter of being called to truth. Friends, in Jesus Christ, we have it far better than we deserve. To borrow friends in Ann Arbor's statement, nobody has it better than we do. We need to take hold of the truth of who God is and what he has done and what that means for us. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have sorrow when things go bad. I'm not saying that you can't feel down about things. What I am saying is that when we focus on ourselves and our situations to the point that that is the dominating reality of our lives, we're living in self-pity, and we need to see truth beyond ourselves, So where does that truth come from? Well, again, it's not from some little small, still quiet voice in your heart telling you what to do, go here or there. It's from the word of God. That's what Elijah hears. Behold, the word of the Lord. It comes from God himself. So so you need to be a person that is receiving and being nourished by God's word to get your Bible open, even daily, to say, God, you speak here, so speak to me, teach me. Help me see truth. Help me see your perspective on the world. Friends, we will not be transformed unless our minds are renewed by the word of God. So you need to hear God's voice. You need to get the scriptures open. Let him speak to you about your life. And you need people around to present and share truth with you. That's one of the reasons we are so big on life groups here at Woodside Bible Church, that is the place where you can be around brothers and sisters in Jesus who can help you lovingly say and know the truth, to, to, to come around you in your life, to show you God's word, to tell you about God's nature, to give you God's promises and, and show you true perspective on your life so that you're lifted up out of your self-pity. I'll just throw a plug in here for you. Our life groups are getting ready to relaunch here in a couple weeks in September. If you're part of our church family and you're not in a life group, we want to help you connect. We want to help you be around other believers, other brothers and sisters in Jesus who can speak the truth of God into your life. It's, It's essential. It's important. God calls us. He calls us to himself. He calls us to truth. I see his perspective There's one more call here for us, I'll go very briefly here. That is that God calls us to serve. Like, self-pity is when we focus in on ourselves. We just kind of cave in, and that's that's what Elijah's doing. He's moping about, God, I'm the only one left. But God says to Elijah, he's like, no, you're not. You're not the only one left. Like, I got 7,000. I'm here. I've got a call for you, Elijah. There's still work for you to be doing. And so God mobilizes Elijah back into ministry. Now, verses 15 through 17 here are this mobilization. God gives the command to Elijah. The Lord says to him, go, return. Head back up north, get back to work. You've got ministry still to do. God mobilizes Elijah back into purpose and back into ministry This is where Elijah is turned away from his self-introspective, self-focused, self-pitying to an external movement of service for the Lord. That's what the call is. Go, head back north. There's some people that you need to anoint to leadership roles, some kings, the next generation prophet. And these prophets, these leaders, they're going to carry out, God says, my purposes and my plans into the next generation. Things will be all right, Elijah. I will have the victory. My word won't fail. Even though Elijah won't see the fulfillment of all those things, he won't see the culmination of all, these, all those things, God still has purpose and place for him in ministry. He still has something to do. He can't just stay in the cave and write out his days just on an island. So God says, go, speak, work, anoint. He's calling him out of his self-pity to serve God and to serve others. It's one of the ways, another way that self pity hurts us. It, it paralyzes us. We get looking at ourselves and, and we only see what we can do and what we have, and we can't see others. We're just so self focused. We're just stuck. And so we think of ourselves as being the ones that should be served instead of the ones that should go out and serve. I mean, thinking about Jesus, he came and humbled himself. God of God, glory of God, he became a man. He put on human flesh and blood and lived among us. And you'd think that he would have all the reason to be self-pitying. I'm so, he's just confined to an earthly body. And you'd think he'd be the like, I should be served. I should be the entitled one. I should be the one who gets all of it. And Jesus himself said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. And to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus wasn't filled with self-pity. He knew God had called him to a mission to lay down his life for the sake of others. And so he laid out his life. Self-pity is conquered when we recognize God's call on our lives to serve and to follow him in obedience. So let me just lay out some of these calls to serve. Every follower of Jesus Christ is called to go and make disciples. Every single one of us who trust Jesus are called to make disciples in our lives, whether that's with our neighbors, our children, our co-workers, or to the ends of the earth. We're all called to make disciples. We as Christians, all of us, are called to go and serve the poor, the needy, the overlooked, and the broken. There's not an exemption clause in this calling for us. We're all called to go and to serve and to care. We're all called, every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, to serve one another in the local church. God has gifted us each uniquely and differently and called us together to say I want to see the gospel advance in your community and in your life and you can't do it unless everybody's doing it together. You're all called together. I want to see our church grow, I want to see us flourish, I want to see us reach into our community well and to serve and to love others around us. But friends, I can't do it on my own. We are called together. All of us called to serve. So I just want to remind you, again, as I have been over this last month, oh, my card disappeared. There's a card in your bulletin that says, where will you serve? We've been placing that in front of you this whole month to invite you in and to say, listen, God has given us each unique gifts and talents and abilities and time. Where are we going to step up together for the sake of the Lord? And I want to ask you this morning, specifically if you are a part of our church family as a member or a regular attender, please have filled that card out. Let us know, where are you gonna serve? If you're already serving on a ministry team, that's great, fill the card out, mark the box of the team you're already serving in, you're on board, we're ready for that. But if you're not in that place, if you don't have a ministry team yet, if you're not serving somewhere, fill out the card today, drop it in a gray basket at the welcome table. We need your help. Our student ministry needs team, kids ministry needs team, every area of ministry here needs team. We need together to follow the call of God for us as a church. It's how we will defeat our own self-pity, even as a congregation, to hear God's call forward and to leverage our lives for the sake of his kingdom. So take that card. Be ready to fill it out. Maybe for some of you, you've been sensing a call like Kyle has to vo- vocational ministry. You're like, I, I think the Lord wants to use me and my life like, in the church or in, in missions or in something as a, as a career, as a vocation. Friend, I would love to talk with you even today about that call and help you discern that and pray with you over what that would look like. The point is this, God's call on our lives is to serve and that's a means by which self-pity is conquered. To get out of ourselves and our own little problems and our own little things, even though they can be great in our minds and hearts, and to say, I'm gonna lay down my life for the sake of others. So are you stuck in self-pity and despair today? Is, is, Is your heart like Elijah's? Woe is me, I'm the only one left. I've served you, God, but it's, I'm it. That's all that's there. Do you feel like your life has come to a grinding halt because your expectations and desires and dreams are lost or unrealized? Maybe you deser- feel like you deserve better than you have it now, and so you're just self-consumed and self-focused. Friends, God calls you today. He calls you to come to him. Even with your self-pity. Come near to him. He won't push you away. He calls you to hear the truth, to see who he is and what he has done, and who you are, and what he is doing in this world, to gain a kingdom perspective. He calls you to serve, to live for a greater king and a greater kingdom than the one you're living for now. God's call is to you today. And that's the call that will conquer self-pity. Are you listening? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you just pour out mercy and compassion on us. You're so patient. You're so kind. So, Lord, we, we just come to you with our self-focused, self-pitying hearts. And we recognize this morning that how we need you. We acknowledge today that we've, we've got a skewed perspective, we've, we've looked in so much, and we haven't seen who you are and what you're doing and, and the needs and the, the work all around us. So Holy Spirit, would you, would you take what we've heard from your word and sink it into our hearts right now. Dredge up the stuff of self-pity and help us, Lord, repent of it and lay it down and see who you are. We thank you that you've given your love for us, your son for us. So may we as a church and as individuals, Lord, move forward in following your call, obeying your commands, and seeing your name and your kingdom advance in this world. Thank you for your love and grace. In Jesus' name, we ask this together. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org/connect to introduce yourself today.